I want to try and touch on a few points tonight, um, partly from some of the questions that have appeared on the board, although quite a, there are quite a range of uh, considerations that people have come up with, so I don't quite know if I can bring them all into the talk tonight, but I'll try and touch on a few of them, and to continue contemplating uh, what we've been working with today. Uh, in the contemplation of uh, of the Dharma, of our of uh, mind and body, and the various uh, feelings and thoughts that arise, and this contemplation on the third noble truth, uh, cessation or the letting go, uh, the non-grasping, if you like, beginning to uh, realize, if you like, our uh, an abiding that doesn't depend upon the holding of a, of a particular view about ourselves or the world, a particular uh, thought form or feeling about uh, ourselves or the world. It's not really dependent upon a formation, uh, dependent upon who we think we are as our, our bodies or our personalities or our identities as a husband, wife, mother, uh, child, work person, whatever identities are, teacher, uh, whatever it is, finding uh, or realizing an aspect, a dimension of being that is, if you like, uh, always here and now, but sometimes not so easy to see because of the fascination with the conditions of our life, with the movement of our uh, internal storyline, <laughs> our dramas and ups and downs and our concerns, which are real and important enough to us, uh, but as we notice on in investigation, on, on beginning to stop and slow down and look more carefully, sometimes uh, they become a little bit more transparent or lose some of their intensity or momentum or power. So this this third noble truth is, the Buddha said it's to be realized, the first noble truth of suffering or dukkha, the experience of dukkha, is to be understood, to be uh, seen or to, to be open to, to be, not to be reacted, not to be projected out in blame, there's suffering because the way the world is, not to be suppressed uh, or denied, either by just trying to be very positive or uh, just uh, pretending there's no uh, suffering when there is, or distracting ourselves constantly, uh, not to be uh, identified with or, or grasped, but to be understood, to actually allow ourselves the space and time open to the experience of dukkha for the sake of contemplating it. The second noble truth, the arising, what brings the arising of this sensation of dukkha, the the experience of dukkha, the causes, the three forms of tanha, which we've touched on briefly, the Buddha said these are to be let go of, or abandoned, or uh, no longer grasped. And this happens the more clearly we see, say, the wanting mind, what wanting and not wanting. When we see that mind, uh, wanting things to be other than they are, 
then the natural seeing of it allows a sense of relinquishment, a sense of just not having to hold so tightly. And this brings about the realization of the third noble truth. And the third noble truth would have said is to be realized, the cessation of suffering, the cessation of grasping. We realize, if you like, uh, mind in its natural state, luminous nature of mind, if you like, or awareness, sometimes you can call it awareness, or the sense of just being, a dimension of being, and that perhaps we don't always notice. And then the fourth noble truth, the path, is to be developed. So these four um, four truths each have different uh, ways that we respond to them. And they're divided into three aspects. Each of the four truths divided into three aspects. So the the first aspect is the needing, say, for the third one, needing uh, to realize or the, 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 the recognition and then the uh, the process of realizing, working, and then the fruit, the understanding, the realization. So this is what we've been doing today. The the develop all of all contemplating these four noble truths and developing the path, using the path, the aspects, if you like, of path. Uh, the path, bringing those, those aspects, those qualities of the path, which uh, help support our investigation, those aspects of patience, resolution to keep coming back to the task, a kindness, metta, kindness to, our, to doing it with a sense of compassion and kindliness, and a, a certain sense of determination. It needs a certain feeling of determination that uh, one just determines to keep going, even when it feels uh, impossible. Not believing that thought, but determining just to keep being with the way it is, to keep investigating, to keep noting. In this third, the realize, the letting go, the experience, the beginning to maybe let go of some of the the things that we've held tightly to, uh, maybe different beliefs or views we have about ourselves or what we're doing in life. Sometimes those can be challenged. We don't always know that we're holding so tightly to a, a particular approach or particular way of being, or particular belief system that we might have. And as that becomes more conscious, then maybe our relationship to that starts to, to change. And this experience of letting go, perhaps who we thought we were so, so strongly, can be disconcerting. Perhaps we enter more into the feeling of not being so sure, or not knowing. We have to somehow... Um, come to terms with, with not really knowing, not, not being sure, the uncertainty, which can be quite, uh, quite challenging for us. 
I've worked with this myself a lot over the years uh, in my meditation practice. The the experience of using this practice has taken me, in a way, into a deeper investigation of this whole area of not knowing, <laughs> or the the sort of feeling of not being sure, not having things worked out, secure. Um, in terms of either who I, I might think what I am or what I'm about, or even what I'm doing in life sometimes. Sometimes I think I know what I'm doing, other times I really don't know. And then the, the, the tendency of the mind when we, we don't know is to try and be certain somehow, try and make things secure, try and um, shore up our uncertainty with sort of uh, confidence, maybe thoughts about, yes, I, I know who I am, I know where I'm going, I know what I should do. I know what the world's about. I know who you are. Uh, so in this meditation practice, if some of that starts to dissolve on us and we start to experience maybe not that uncertainty, it's, it's rather than feeling that that's a bad thing or feeling um, uh, shaken by that, it's a state that we, we need to become familiar with. Sometimes the experience of, of this letting go can actually bring states along with the not knowing feelings or symptoms almost of anxiety or fear or even terror. And actually, in a way, uh, our ego structure, if you like, what we're actually contemplating, what we call the ego structure, for want of a better word, is quite a, more often than not, a fearful thing because it's not certain, it's not something we can, we know on some level, it's not totally reliable. It knows, it's in a way, part of the ego structure is trying to be in a world, uh, be confident, certain, uh, in a world that, that, that is vast, in a universe that's vast. When you think, here we are on this planet, in, within this life, surrounded really by vastness. I mean, there's a lot that we really don't know. We just have to look at the stars at night, look out into the space, to sense how, how, how extraordinary it is. I'm amazed we're not all more in a state of just being awed by just being here. You know, just what is it about? But somehow our ego structure has the job of trying to make it manageable for us. <laughs> In some way trying to uh, control the uncontrollable, to uh, have boundaries in, the, in, in, in space where there's no boundary, to have a sense of identification when in essence there's really uh, ultimately very little that we can identify and hold to in the realm of change. So when we start to actually contemplate or bring the mind, to bring awareness, if you like, to the sense of the ego, 
you notice that the whole base of it is, is in a way quite quite fearful, quite a lot of fear. And if we start to, somewhere in the meditation, some of its boundaries might get challenged, then we can experience this anxiety. Well, who am I? What am I doing? I don't know. And I thought I had a meditation technique. I just watch my breath and keep doing it, and then they start talking about Vipassana. I don't know anymore what to do. I'm uncertain. We get anxious. So this is why I'm saying that one should allow ourselves to contemplate the not knowing, contemplate any... I mean, this might not be relevant to some of you, to some of you it, it, it will be, as a, an experience one goes through, as the sort of seeming solidity of the world, um, as we start to see it more clearly, if you like, the, when the solidity dissolves a bit more, and we realise that it, you know, that actually there is so little, there is nothing that we can really grasp and hold on to for very long. So we look for things to trust. Maybe, maybe someone can tell us what's going on. Maybe a, a wise person can tell us, or maybe a book, or maybe someone else can tell us what is going on. What can <laughs> how can I make sense of this world? What should I do? How should I be? How should I live? And the mind can spin into a, a million questions in response to the fact that basically there's a lot of uncertainty, there's a lot of not knowing. There aren't very clear answers sometimes about what we should do, how we should be, how we should live. And more often than not, there's no one that's going to tell us. Some people might volunteer to tell you (laughs) if you want to believe them. (laughs) And maybe sometimes that's helpful. But still, it's still quite a fragile experience being told what to do by someone else. It's a bit like walking on thin ice. You can go so far and then eventually it will crack underneath you. And I've, ex- I've experienced that a lot in this journey. I just wish some master would descend and just tell me what to do, what's going on, because <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> yeah. So somewhere, somehow, as the Buddha said, we have to, to a great degree, be a lamp, a light unto ourselves. We have help, we have sangha, we do have teachings and so on, but we also have to learn to find a refuge. We have to learn to find a point of trust, how to trust, what to trust. And this, for me, has been an ongoing, is an ongoing investigation. And it's part of, part of that allowing of trust depends, for me, on allowing not knowing, not having to know, not having to hold the certainty, hold a view. So it's like balancing really uh, on a needle point. You can't really, it's, it's a balance, balancing. It's not like, 
Mm. It's just allowing ourselves to just trust the letting go of thought, a form, an opinion, an idea might come, and maybe it has its true, it's relatively true for the moment, for the time being. We allow it to inform us, and allow it to pass its way, go its own way. And then in that, uh, we come back to just the space of awareness, of not knowing, and allowing. Allowing ourselves to listen more deeply beyond, say, the different views or ideas or certainties that come into the mind. To keep allowing this process of letting go, relinquishing, non-grasping. Coming familiar with fear or anxiety. I remember once when I was doing a long retreat in the monastery and I was sitting at night and I felt this sense of vastness around me and the only block between me and the vastness was terror. (laughs) My ego in a state of absolute terror because to merge with the vastness meant a dissolving a real relinquishment of that uh, that uh, ego structure, and so just watch, just keep mindful of the terror. <laughs> but I found it very hard to actually stay with that that feeling. So I got up and started doing very mundane things like cleaning my teeth and walking around and making a cup of tea to try and somehow steady myself. And the next day I went to talk to my teacher and said, you know, really, I should have just pushed through. I should have just, I should have just gone, you know, out of my room, just gone into the forest, sat in the middle of the night, really confronted the terror. (laughs) And just, you know, with my willpower, pushed through it so I could merge, overcome this fear. And, uh, the teacher said, well, that's one approach. <laughs> so he said a very wise thing. He said, these things have their own time. They fall away. It falls away in its own time. You can't, from your will, there's a certain point where your will can't take you anymore. You just keep being, being with the fear, being with the terror, being with the anxiety. Now this is very hard for us because it means one has to have a lot of time. I'm still working on that. <laughs> and it's just allowing these things their own time. And so in its own time, it's like a, a fruit that ripens, it will fall away. You won't even notice that it's falling, that it's dissolving. And you learn to trust more just being in awareness. The essence of being at the same time, and I found that that very helpful. That sometimes this idea we've got to push through things, conquer things, get rid of the uncertainty, get rid of the fear, get rid of our ego. The ego has its place. It's not that in this practice we're trying to demolish the ego structure. It's like the body it has its place. It's important. It has its its. As in Char used to talk about two levels of reality, I think this is important to to consider the relative level, or what we call the 
the asankata, the condition, the sankata means the conditioned, the realm of conditions, the realm of of, uh, karmic formations, formations, all all things that we can sense, see, touch, taste, think about, feel, all belong to the realm of the sankata dharmas, that which comes uh, about, comes into form due to causes, comes into formation, whether it's a thought form, whether it's a feeling, whether it's a day changing into night, whether it's uh, our bodies from conception as they grow in the womb and born in childhood to middle age and then the the decline, the physical body, and then the death and the breaking apart, part of the conditioned realm, whether it's a relationship, any kind of relationship, whether it's a house, whether it's this planet, this universe, it all follows the same law, all arising according to a multitude of causes at a certain point in time comes into being as what we call a sankara, conditioned formation conditioned by causes and then has its span and at some point ceases so we start to contemplate that whole cycle the arising and ceasing and not just choosing one half I only want the arising, I only want the, the new, the born I don't want the other side I only want youth, and I don't want old age. I only, I only want uh, flowers when they're in full bloom. I don't want them when they decay and wither. So we, as uh, meditates on contemplates the whole cycle, and, and then contemplation, we start to notice where do all things, where do they go when they dissolve? Where do they disappear into? When a thought dissolves, when the forms dissolve, where do they go? And this is the the other level, the what they call the asankata, the unconditioned. And Buddha says, if it wasn't for the unconditioned, the uncreated, there would be no escape from birth and death. If we couldn't realize, this is the, what the third noble truth is about. Realize the unconditioned, the, the spaciousness, then there would be no freedom from grasping the conditioned realm, the mortal realm and having this experience when things are new, born, we hold and then as they turn into the opposite start moving to decay, then we feel the sense of death so we have this feeling, we we grasp the thought it's called becoming, identification and then when it's when it moves and shifts, we have the feeling of dying. And we grasp a, an ambition to become something, to do something, we maybe achieve that, and then as it dissolves, there's the fading of that. And sometimes in meditation, we just spend a long time looking at the dying away of things that we've grasped, things that we've held, the things that we've identified with, some of the despairs or the, the mind uh, 
feeling sometimes of uh, despair or a, or a dying away feeling can come. If we're no longer grasping or holding on or perpetuating ourselves in any particular way, then sometimes we feel these old patterns, old voices. But I want, I want, I want. I've got to have, I've got to have, I've got to. You don't move on it, you just start to listen and you feel this. So it's called the, the sort of, uh, if you like, the purification of desire. I want this, I don't want that. I mean, it's not that sometimes we say, you know, you can get the impression that something's wrong with desire, it's bad, we shouldn't have any desires. Well, <laughs> I mean, if we didn't have any desires, we probably wouldn't eat, I suppose. Clean our teeth, I don't know, we probably don't know what would happen if we didn't have any desires. But I see it's more, rather than not having any desires, it's the purification through, the, through this work. It's allowing desire to be purified, transformed. It's not just desire about me and what I want, but it gets transformed into aspiration, to an energy that helps to motivate us, to keep us uh, connected with the path. It's, a, it's an important energy. But it's no longer in service just of um, a self-centered life. It's used more as it's purified in service of the Dharma. So as we start to hear some of these, uh, notice our meditation, some of the things that we've held, maybe ceasing. See it with a thought, maybe a bit of space just around the thought. You can get a sense for this asankata, the freedom of not, no longer having to just push and pull at life, the freedom of just being able to feel just being. Relaxing into just being, not having to be anything in particular or anyone in particular, not having to get rid of anything or anyone in particular. So when Ajahn Chah used to talk about this uh, condition, unconditioned, he said it's important to know about this two levels of reality, not to get them confused. And sometimes come up to you and say, well, what's your name? Say, I don't have any name, I'm the nameless one. <laughs> I was never born, I'll never die. <laughs> I'm ever present, all abiding. No, I just asked you what your name was. <laughs> And ultimately, maybe that's true. <coughs> ultimately, maybe we could say that. You're never born and never die. That's not an ego statement, that's a statement of truth. But conventionally we say, well, my name is, and I am this, and I live here, and I do that. Now, if that's our only reality, that's, what's, uh, that's where we, we feel a lack of freedom. That's, a, you know, that's, that's all we know ourselves to be. What we've achieved, maybe, what we're going to do, what our hopes are, what our desires and fears are, what our qualifications are on a piece of paper, what our work is. So that's quite fraught, having to locate ourselves in, within the sphere of the condition realm. It becomes very fraught, tight. So this meditation at the most profound level really is allowing ourselves to realize, to 
to beginning to just patiently be with the flow of consciousness, patiently noticing, as we notice, as Kijisara was saying so beautifully last night, noticing the impermanence, what starts to be revealed, is that which is noticing, that which is, that which is in the morning, in the evening, in youth, in old age, you might call it just the, I like the word awareness. And it's impersonal, you can't really say that the conditions of our life are full of dramas and storylines and me this and me that and all my sort of loves and hates and sorrows and traumas and joys and hopes. That's what we call the storyline of our life, which fascinates us so much. <laughs> we fascinate each other with our storylines. <laughs> Let me tell you my story. <laughs> but we can also, as we begin to have it realize that even a little bit, there's just this feeling of being in awareness. You just, in a way, you could say it's very impersonal. This is. We can't claim it as a personal achievement. It just is. It's like the space in the room. It's something to notice. Something we can rest in. not that they're separate, the condition and condition sometimes sound like two things that are divorced from each other. I think the image that I find that the most helpful, um, which is, I hope Kitty forgives me for using one of his images, but, uh, <laughs> but it's not really yours. <laughs> <laughs> is the, the image of the waves on the sea and the depth of the sea. The waves on the sea are a bit like uh, the conditions of life. You know, we have a, a big wave and a small wave and a curly wave and a ferocious wave and a gentle wave. And you say, oh, look at that wave, it's huge. Look at that, that's tiny. And you get sort of just fascinated with the wave. But what we can notice is that each wave appears from the sea and then it crashes back into the sea or it folds back into the sea. And there's the depth of the sea. The sea has depth in the same way as our being. We notice the surface. There's a happy thought, an unhappy thought, a desperate thought, a terrible thought, a violent thought, a loving thought, (laughs) a jealous feeling, a lustful feeling, we just notice and notice and then we start to notice first of all the one that's noticing and the one that's noticing is connected to the depth of our being the depth of being so in a way it's a dance we were talking about the dance between Samatha and Vipassana and talking about some of the questions that have come up today on the board about, well, how does this all translate into work and into intimate relationships, into life? Uh, well, 
it's also a dance. I see it's also a dance between these these uh, levels. And does it mean that we should never have any intimate relationships if we're so unattached? <laughs> uh, does it mean we shouldn't work for money? Mm. These are issues. These are this is the stuff. Um, I, I can't say tell you. I'm I struggle with these. So I'm not totally clear. I'm still working with how does this translate into our everyday life? How do we work with these levels? How do we carry on our lives, work within the world, and yet, as the ancient saying goes, not being of the world? How do we remember those two planes? Well, we somehow have to. We have to dance and juggle. Intimate relationships is important for us as human beings, whether it's friendships, lovers, or partners. It's often in the in the in the close relationships that we can feel a sense of trust, feel a sense of relaxing, companionship, affection. But also, there's a lot of pain. There can be a lot of pain. There can be a breaking of trust. There can be confusion, there can be, when there's love, there can be the desire to own, to possess. To not allow the space to recognize another as an individual. So these are, these are issues that are, that are not, there's not like, they're, I think really the heart of it is our own, mindfulness, our own wisdom, how to work with these areas. If we're involved in a in relationship, we have to recognize that we have the trust of another. That's a pre- precious thing. Someone is open to us and sharing with us. It's a sort of contract that we make almost with that person. And that's take some responsibility not to misuse that, to try not to misuse that. And yet, within that, we have to recognize we are also individuals. And maybe at some point, in a relationship, two individuals get to the point where they feel they have to move on for whatever reasons. But it's, it's like, for me, it's like these areas, I don't think, I mean, we have the precepts to guide us. But I think that it comes down to really uh, ourselves being honest, sensitive. I don't think there's any hard and fast rules. And keeping this level, these two levels, on the one level we're together and on another level we know if we enter into uh, a closer relationship there's going to be some suffering. It's unavoidable. But one shouldn't be scared of suffering. And we can have the, the attitude, well, because it's, it's suffering, I'm not going to ever risk opening myself to anyone else or trusting anyone. Well, that's, that's, that's one way of living life, but it could, could mean that our heart can really uh, become very closed, very fearful. 
when we go into a situation where we open, where we start to trust, where we allow another to touch us, that person might die, they might move on, we don't know. But we have to recognize that perhaps we just are going to go through some kind of dukkha associated with relationship, with intimacy. But maybe we can work with that in a wise way rather than in a fearful or blind way or in an attached way or a demanding way. And sometimes in our life we don't have a relationship, we're on our own. And that's something else to learn from. Sometimes we might be in a monastery like we were. That's something else. <laughs> I, I see more now rather than one is better or than the other necessarily. I see they all have their uh, advantages, if you can call it that. Their strong points and they all have uh, pitfalls, areas of where one can get stuck. So I think it's going going back, I think I should finish them, but I think it's going, I won't go on to the other questions <laughs> and try and go into this later, but I think this goes back to uh, the issue of trust, uh, listening listening deeply into our own heart because ultimately that's where we have to trust as to how best to work with the very stuff of our life where we can allow it to be informed by our practice of Dharma allowing ourselves to keep these not using the plane of the impersonal Suchness as a way of pushing away the conditioned world because it's difficult and complex and painful. But allowing ourselves to realize that, bring that into as a place of refuge, as a place of true abiding, but not getting overly caught up in our, in our work, in our ambitions, in our livelihoods, in earning money, in our relationships, that we forget that all things that are conditioned are impermanent. Nothing will truly satisfy us. And in knowing their impermanence and allowing all things to go their natural way, we arrive at peace.
Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.